If you've been watching my channel for a while, then you know that something I'm really interested in is the science of learning a language. And recently I had the pleasure of talking to Stephen Piantadosi, who is the head of the Computation and Language Lab at UC Berkeley. We talked about language acquisition and how children learn vocabulary and artificial intelligence. It was a really fascinating conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Stephen Piantadosi, thanks so much for, for joining me today. Sure, happy to be here. Um, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Piantadosi. Um, Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, um, great. So, you are an assistant professor at, at uh, UC Berkeley. Right. And, and you are the head of the um, language and, and computing lab, is that, is that right? Computation and language lab, yes. Computation right. and language. So, um, yep. for, for people who, who don't know you and your work, could you just talk a little bit about, like, what you do, really? Sure, yeah. So, uh, most of the people in the lab are, are interested in understanding learning and uh, learning very broadly. So, you know, how, how can you build, for instance, learning models or, or uh, artificial intelligence systems that can learn like people do? Um, and we take that usually to, to involve uh, figuring out how people do learning and, uh, you know, what kinds of mechanisms they have, how they handle data, what kinds of things they pay attention to in the world. Um, what kinds of theories people consider when they're trying to understand some new system. Um, and we work a lot on, on understanding language learning and uh, early mathematics learning. So um, uh, trying to make sense of uh, the kinds of representations that, that adults have and how kids could start with whatever they start with, whatever a, you know, a, a newborn baby starts with and arrive at the kinds of representations that uh, adults find very, very ordinary and easy to handle. Um, yeah, um, yeah. And I suppose that that leads me into sort of your 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 first piece of work, uh, and I have yeah. to congratulate you um, because recently you published a paper um, which was uh, which showed that that basically all of sort of language that that humans know it, it would fit on a floppy disk about one point <laughs> five one point five megabytes of of information and and I, I saw this paper everywhere. I saw it on BBC News. I saw it on Facebook. I saw it on Reddit. So congratulations! <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, we we, we had been uh, thinking about this question for a, a while in the lab of trying to quantify exactly how much people know. Um, and the reason for that is that there's a lot of debates that. Uh, originated both in linguistics and philosophy and early psychology about how much information has to be built in for learners. So um, how much, like, what exactly is different between a human and another primate that allows a human to learn language and not another primate, or between a human and a hamster, right, that allows a human to learn language and not a hamster. So um, there's... Uh, uh, lots of argument about that, but nobody had gone through and sort of quantified exactly how much information people had to learn. Um, and that's something that you can do by uh, looking at the, the, the types of knowledge that adults have and trying to, to kind of estimate. We did these kind of back-of-the-envelope calculations to try to estimate uh, how much information learners would have had to extract from their environment in order to uh, arrive at the, the, the amount of knowledge that, that adults have about English. Yeah, and, and, and in the paper, it, it, it shows, um, it has a string of ones and zeros, uh, yeah. and, it, and it shows that um, 
that that a, that a, a person, you know, from 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 the time they're born until they're eighteen years old, they would is is that right? Till they're eighteen, they would they would have to learn yep. they would have to learn a sequence like this every single day for eighteen years to to yep. acquire a language. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, the the, the estimates that, that we come up with are are on the order of, of hundreds to, to thousands of, of bits of information per day. So that's hundreds or thousands of ones and zeros you have to remember. And uh, if if you look at you know two hundred ones and zeros, it looks like a huge amount of, of information to remember. And I think that that's right. It is a huge amount. Um, the format of representation for learners is of course different than a string of ones and zeros. I mean, they're uh, the things that they're learning are. Um, more naturally connected to uh, the the words that they know, word meanings, different syntactic constructions, different speech sounds, and so there's uh, there's basically um, you know cognitive mechanisms for handling those and for for encoding information like that. But the total amount of information that that those mechanisms are able to extract from the world is, I think, surprisingly large. Yeah, I mean, it it is surprisingly large, but then at the same time, it, it's sort of I feel like humans should have no more language than just what fits on a floppy disk. I feel like it it should <laughs> yeah. be at least like a big hard disk or something, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We, we, we had both of those intuitions as, as we were coming up with these numbers uh, that on the one hand, it felt like a huge amount per day. If, if you look at the amount per day to, to remember, I don't think that, that you could ever remember you know, a sequence of zeros and ones like that if, if you had to do it explicitly if they were encoded as zeros and ones. Um, and on the other hand, uh, even if you add up that amount of information per day for 18 years, you still don't arrive at something more than a, a floppy disk would hold. I mean, a, a megabyte and a half is, is basically our, our estimate. Um, and, uh, you know, one, one way of making sense of that is maybe that floppy disks actually hold a ton of information. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, I mean, millions and millions of, of bytes of, it, of information. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, true. And and I'm wondering cuz it's interesting what you said before about you know it would be very difficult for a human to just learn ones and zeros every single day, but it's it would be much easier to learn the same amount of information if it was like encoded in maybe a story or something. So sure, so yeah. so what, what what does that maybe tell us about about the language learning process? Um does it tell us anything interesting about about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are certain things which are, are very natural for people to learn. There, there are certain pathways which we're very good at, at absorbing information in. Um, uh, for instance, if I, if I showed you a picture, uh, I could ask you in a week, if I could show it to you again in a week and ask you if it was the same one, and you'd probably be pretty good at, at recognizing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I encoded that picture as a string of zeros and ones, you know, even though the information might be equivalent, uh, in a week, a week later, you probably wouldn't be able to remember what you know whether you had seen that that sequence of zeros and ones. And so, just psychologically, there's some formats which are very natural, um, and some which are unnatural. And um, one of the actually main findings of of the paper is that um, uh, most of that information, almost all of that information, is about word meanings. So it's what uh, different nouns and and verbs. Uh, referred to in the world, it's about their their semantics or their dictionary definitions or, or some some kind of, of representations of their meaning. Um, and I think actually that, that that's one of the formats where people are are very very good at um, uh, at, at encoding new amounts, new, new chunks of information, basically. Right. So I, I could teach you a, a, a new word uh, in a single sentence, and and um, 
you know, you'd be able to remember it for some amount of time. And um, uh, the, the amount of information that, that is required for a single word is, is non-trivial. I mean, it's um, uh, depending on, on how you estimate, right, it's, it's maybe a, a, a couple hundred bits of information that specifies exactly what the word picks out. Um, okay, so, so, so for example, if, if I was learning a language and I had maybe two options for, for learning vocabulary, I could sort of sit down with a list maybe of, of 20 words for that day and, and just try to remember those 20 words, or I could maybe, you know, is there, is there a better way, does, does your research show that it would be a better way to remember those words? So um, I, I think that sitting down and memorizing a list is certainly different than how children do it, right? Mm -hmm. So, so they're, they're probably picking out pieces of meaning from multiple situations that they in, encounter in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, that means that there's, you know, I, I guess I think of it as, as them starting with uh, very fuzzy concepts or very fuzzy word meanings. And as they go around and acquire information, those hone in and they figure out exactly what, uh, exactly what words mean. So they you know, first might think an uncle is just a male, then they might think, oh, you know, an uncle is actually uh, some kind of older relative who's a male, um, and then over time they'll figure out, oh, no, it's actually an older male relative who's, uh, you know, a sibling of, of one of your parents. Um, and so that, that kind of refinement of, of concepts is, is something that I think happens very naturally in, in ordinary language learning. Um, I, I don't know... Uh, I don't know enough about, say, second language learning or language learning in adults to, to know exactly what the, the best kind of uh, method for, for teaching and, and learning might be there. So okay. it, it, might, it easily could be the case, for instance, that um, you know adults could sit down every day and, and learn a couple of words a day just by reading word lists or, or, or reading from, from the dictionary. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's certainly not, not what kids do. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. And um, well, well, that's interesting as well, because you, you wrote a paper which was, um, I, I, now I hope I understand this well, but you, you wrote a, a piece of software that, that was able to basically simulate how children learn kinship terms, like how children would learn family words. Yeah, so that, that, that's one of the domains that um, mainly one of my graduate students, Frank Malika, has been been interested in. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's an interesting domain because words like uncle and grandmother and um, uh, sibling and things all, all refer to a, a, some kind of structural property on a family tree. So um, they're, they're in some sense more abstract than, uh, you know, uh, a word like chicken or <laughs> uh, shoes or something, which which maps onto some kind of physical uh, physical objects in the in, in the world. So kinship terms pick out some uh, abstract logical relation like that. And um, in terms of our theories of word learning, there haven't been real computational accounts that can explain that. So um, a, a lot of theories of word learning say, oh, you know, you, you, you hear a word when there's some kind of thing around and, and you learn that association between a word and a thing. So you hear the word chicken when there's chickens around, you hear the word shoe when there's shoes around. Mm -hmm. um, and what you do is you form a, a tight association between those and that association is kind of the core of your, your representation. Um, what's interesting for these kinship terms is uh, kids go through a stage that looks kind of like that. So it, it, initially they, they, um, they, 
they kind of come up with associations on kind of simple perceptual features like like age or who's friendly or whatever. And so if you ask a kid of the right age, they'll say, oh, and, you know, an uncle is a uh, an older friendly person who sometimes brings you presents or something like that. Oh, uh, okay, um, okay. And uh, as they continue to accumulate data, uh, meaning probably they hear from their parents what the word means or who it refers to or who it doesn't refer to, they eventually arrive at, at this more abstract kind of representation that, that's stated in terms of family relationships. Um, and so uh, we've been interested in, in modeling that as, as, a, as a kind of cool case study of trying to figure out, uh, you know, how, how we, we could formalize learning, formalize and test learning theories that, that work over uh, kind of abstract family tree like relationships like that. Yeah, um, I get it. It's totally interesting. I never even thought about those sort of putting words in those categories that yeah of course um you know a chicken is always a chicken it's it's a chicken and you can see it but an uncle could be any man of any age of you know he could look different he could have different personalities you know it's 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 really interesting and so you're saying that children kind of start it's very fuzzy they're not they maybe know some abstract characteristics in them and then over time they they sort of learn to realize what what it means. Hmm. Yeah. So, so the in in the developmental literature, um, uh, there's a thing called the characteristic to defining shift. So kids initially pick out kind of characteristic features, like an uncle is friendly and he sees you every now and then, and you know he's an, an older male, uh, and uh, they they shift from from having that kind of representation or, or belief about word meanings. Um, to a, a defining relationship, which is like the, the defining relationship that, that adults know. So, uh, yeah, being a, a sibling, a male sibling of one of your parents. Um, and you can see that not just for uncle, but, but in, in lots of different word meanings. So um, one that gets studied a lot is like uh, a princess, right? You can ask a kid, you can ask kids, you know, uh, could a princess ever be uh, mean? Uh, and kids say, "Oh no, no, no! <laughs> that, that's that, that, that's not not one of the the uh, the, the characteristic features of a princess." Um, wow. uh, or or you could describe for them someone who is the daughter of a king, but is is you know really mean and not very wealthy and <laughs> has you know tattered clothes and things. And I think, "Oh no, no, that can't be a princess." Um, <laughs> wow, that's really, so that's really interesting. Their sort of initial guesses about what words mean um, seem to be driven by by these things, which are perceptually very accessible, like uh, how you look and, and how you act. And uh, it's only with more time or more data that they they come to understand the, the more abstract things uh, behind some of these word meanings. Huh. Wow, interesting. Okay, um, I wanted to um, I I wanted to ask you about something else, which was in in the world of in the world of language learning. There's there's a lot of um, teachers who who insist on their students immediately thinking in 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 the language they're trying to learn. So if you're French and you're trying to learn English, your teacher will probably say to you, "Okay, I want you to think in English." And um, <laughs> I'm curious about your 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 take on this because I know that you've done some research about you know the language of thought and 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 what what do you think about um, sort of um, suggesting that somebody could think in a particular language. Yeah, so um, uh, this is a, a, a sort of big unknown in terms of uh, cognitive psychology is, is what is the language that we think in? Mm -hmm. And um, there's some people that think, like, 
there's some people that, that hypothesize that uh, the language we think in uh, is natural language. So, so when we have thoughts, they're underlyingly uh, whatever maybe was our first language or our most frequently used language or something. Um, there's other people who hypothesize that there's a separate language, that there's some kind of mental ease um, that supports, you know, reasoning and, and that, that that mental ease in some sense has to get translated into the language that we speak. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and there's other people who think that, that there's, there's like, it's not even right to talk about mental languages, that there is no language of thought, um, that um, there's some other kinds of, of representations which don't look at all like language. So mm -hmm. what it means for something to look like a language is, is that uh, it has little pieces of meaning and you form complicated thoughts or ideas by piecing together those, those little parts of meaning. Um, so a, a good analogy is like how an English sentence works or how a computer program works. Um, you can express a more complicated idea just by putting pieces together. And mm. th th that's not at all a, uh, an established fact in cognitive psychology, I'd say. It's what, one of the more contentious and kind of debated points is uh, to, to, to what degree our, our uh, non-linguistic representations look like that to what degree they, they, they look like something where there's little pieces that are that are put together. Mm. Um, and, and is so, there some type of maybe emerging consensus about about one one theory or another, one hypothesis or another? <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I, I'd say that, that most people uh, work in kind of one area or, or, or another, and it's very hard to, to try to connect them. So um, among the people who don't think that, that mentalese looks like a, a, a language, um, uh, mostly are, are people who do neural network modeling. And so the, these models have, you know, thousands or, or millions of individual neural units um, that are meant to, to be kind of analogous to, to actual biological neurons or at least populations of the biological neurons. Okay. And representations there look like a big pattern of activity. And uh, that big pattern of activity is fundamentally a, a different kind of thing than um, a string of words. So um, a, a lot of the kind of foundational debate in the field has been trying to understand, for instance, how you can get uh, things that act like or, or seem like biological neurons um, to process language, for instance, mm. um, or uh, how things that, 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 are, are, uh, that seem like biological neurons can, um, can do some kind of thinking or, or, or reasoning without sort of implementing a, a, um, some, some other kind of mental language. So I'd say that there's, there's, there's not a consensus, and um, it's, it's one of the hardest issues in, in the field, I think, um, okay. to, to how that works. Uh, okay, wow. So maybe there's some people out there who are thinking, well, I, I don't really I don't really need to learn a language because in the next 10 years, um, Google will have um, a little thing we can put in our ear and it will have automatic translation between any language in the world. And, um, you know, what's the point of, of learning a language? I mean, how, how, how far away do you think we are from that? Do you think it will ever happen? Will it happen in 10 years? I mean... Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, the... Um, uh, I think that the tools that exist now are, are pretty good. So um, you can go to a country where you don't speak the language and get around pretty well with uh, Google's Translate. You know, you have to type in what you want to say or something. But, um, um, you know, I, I think that the... Um, the you know, in the ear thing that automatically translates um, is is not that far of a leap of technology. I mean, the 
speech recognition systems there are, are there. Um, the translation systems are are pretty good, um, and so I think that that if if you're interested in um, you know just navigating from the airport to your hotel and then going to buy dinner or something, that that, that, that that's essentially already a solved problem, I think. Yeah. Um, if you want to engage in a real conversation uh, about some you know, some topic in depth with somebody that I think it's, it's a bit harder because I think the translation systems have to be a bit better and they have to handle, um, uh, you know, unusual topics a bit better than they, they actually do. Um, so I, d I don't know how long, I, I mean, um, I think it, it depends on, on sort of how, how good it has to be. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, well, I mean, obviously you're, you're a person who's, who's interested in language because, because you've spent your whole, career since you well since you started university you've spent your whole career working yeah. in language and and i mean how, how does that on an emotional level on a personal level when what do yeah. you think of the idea what do you think of the idea of people maybe not really needing to learn languages i mean is that exciting to you to you or do you think that's <laughs> kind of sad you, you know um yeah i i mean i i, I fall uh a little well i i'd say it's a little bit of both right so um if you know, I don't speak Japanese, for instance, but if, if there was a great tra translation tool that would let me, you know, travel easier in Japan and in, engage with more kind of natural Japanese content, then great. Um, that, that seems like a, a great thing. Um, at, at the same time, I mean, I think that there's a, a lot of value in um, uh, sort of engaging deeply with a, another culture. And, and part of that is, is often trying to, to learn the language and, and understand it. Um, so I think that um, uh, from, from that point of view, like there's, there's real knowledge to be gained for individuals in, in learning languages. Um, but at the same time, it's also like very convenient <laughs> to have good, good tools that let you, let you do things. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. when, when I spoke to, to, to Daniel Everett about, about this topic, I sort of asked yeah. him, I asked him like, why, you know, why, why should people learn languages? Like what's, what's the point, you know, because for, for a lot of people, you know, you're in your country, maybe you travel for two weeks a year, but you know, you're, you're not doing business. You have no real necessity to, to learn a language. And, and he said that, um, you know, in, in the past language was taught as a different way to view the world. Language was taught as a different way to think. Um, yeah. I mean, what do, do you sort of? What, how do you feel about that? Like, what you know? I know this is more more personal opinion than science, but you know, what what do yeah. you think is is the point of learning a language, really? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I think that that's uh, that's basically right. I, I I wouldn't say it's necessarily a different way to think. That's actually a whole whole other psychology of other people who speak different languages think and think differently in some fundamental way. Um, but I, I, I certainly think it's um, it's an important part of of understanding a, a, a different culture and um, anything that that gets you out, out of. Um, you know, only knowing about the one culture that, that you grew up in, I think is, is very important. Um, so I, I guess I, I, I see it as just a kind of piece of, uh, of learning about the world and learning about the universe and, and how other people live and, and these kind of things. Okay, cool. Excellent. Um, okay. I've just got just a, a couple more questions. Um, yep. um, so, so, so based, based on your, on your work with, with children, and, you know, especially, for example, we were talking about before that, that you have to learn 
a certain amount of information every day for maybe 18 years. Um, and, and, and just based on your knowledge of language acquisition and, and, and computing and language acquisition, what, what, what do you think about the idea that, that, you know, you could, you could become fluent in three months in a language or that, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to name any specific names, but you know, there are companies out there, you know, big companies who, who are selling products, you know, where they claim that you could learn a language in five minutes a day. I mean, how, how do you, as a scientist, what, what do you think about that? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, it depends on what exactly you mean by learning a language. So um, I'm sure you, you, you could learn something useful in five minutes a day. Um, probably not fluent, right? Unless you spent a really long time, kids spend hours and hours a day for, uh, for a decade or two trying to, to figure out how their language works. So, um, uh, at the same time, right? Like you, you could probably acquire something, um, and so it's a it, it's a, it's a question of kind of what level of competence you'd you'd like to achieve. And there, there, there's even studies um, showing that um, it's very difficult, uh, maybe almost impossible, for adults to to achieve native like competence um, when they're learning language. So so there's uh, the critical period hypothesis, which basically says that um, essentially before puberty, uh, you. Like if, if you if you learn a language after puberty, it's very hard to um, to uh, achieve real kind of native like competence. Um, and so there's there's studies, for instance, of, of people who um, have uh, spent um, you know you, you can say you know take pe only people who've been trying to learn a language for ten years and look at when they their their ability with it as a function of when they started and if they started very young then they'll, they'll probably be uh be like native um and if they started uh older then the, the same amount of time same comparative amount of, of input um probably doesn't get them up to the same level um, yeah i mean recently yeah. there was there was the paper in, in cognition uh that was you know with with josh hartshorn and um yeah, yeah that's right about yeah. that exact thing and uh I mean, <laughs> yes, it, it, it was it was very clear that that even um, you know, especially without immersion, an adult learner needs needs a much a much longer amount of time. And yes, they never quite you know get get to that same proficiency. Do, do you have yep. any Do you have any ideas? Does Does your research tell us why that might be? No, I mean, I, I haven't worked on that. There, there are theories uh, that are out there, though. So some of the um, the older studies, uh, but before before Josh Hartshorn's, um, were done by Lisa Newport, and um, she she has a theory called the less is more hypothesis, which is basically that um, you know adults are are smarter than kids in a bunch of different ways, and and maybe being smarter kind of impedes language learning because it 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 allows you other routes to uh, to to um, communicate and, and to handle language and things. And so maybe the, the cognitive limitations that kids have are actually an advantage in, in language learning um, and sort of crucially shape the, the, uh, the representations that they, they arrive at. Wow, that's, um, so I, 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 I've, I'd yeah. never heard of that paper, but I, I'm, go I'm going to read um, it this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to, to, to send it to you. Um, and um, uh, yeah, wow, that, that's that's a really interesting idea. That that maybe yeah, it's true. Like as adults, you know, if if I'm in in France and I go to the supermarket, you know, I don't really need to say anything. I can, you know, I have the money and I can I can yeah, exactly. I can live right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean there there are people who who move to another country and live there for thirty years and never learn the language, right? Yeah, but, but children, yeah. yeah, you couldn't a child couldn't do that. It's 
interesting theory. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Wow, interesting. Um, okay, so um, uh, j- just just one final question, I suppose. Um, sure. Well, and 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 uh, so so I'm I'm aware that that you know second language learning and, and classroom learning is not your not your area of expertise, but you know if you if if I'm going to ask you anyway. <laughs> I mean, what, <laughs> okay. what, what, what would you do? Do you have any advice for, for anybody who's trying to learn a language? Maybe there's so, something which you feel like could be solid advice for, for people who, who really want to, to get fluency. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think immersion and I, I, I think, uh, really forcing yourself to engage with the language as opposed to using these other, uh, these other ways of getting around things uh, probably helps a lot. So, you know, if, if you're visiting a country and, and you could buy a train ticket by pointing at something, <laughs> right, that's not going to help you learn the language. If you force yourself to, to try to speak it, um, then uh, maybe you'll say something incorrect. But, you know, people are, are very robust to uh, communicating successfully with someone who doesn't quite have the right grammar or quite have the right pronunciation. So um, I think that, that people feel often feel very self-conscious about making mistakes, and um, that, that that's... That's something that, you know, if you're really trying to learn the language, you should just try to ignore as best you can. <laughs> yes, uh, l- the language learning process is, is mostly making mistakes, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. Mo- making mistakes, looking stupid, um, but, but you're <laughs> right. Well, um, well it's, it's been a fascinating conversation. Um, I, I'm sure yeah, that thank you. Thank I, I would love to talk to you all day, but, but I, I know you're a busy man. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to, to leave it here and, and thank you very much for your time. Cool. Thank, thank you very much. I'm happy to talk. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, sir. <laughs>